got a phone call from Kelly, okay, and I answered the phone, and she was just filling me in with her day of how things were going. And at some point, as she's telling me about her day, she told me, hey, you know, there is this lady from the church that has a friend that knows somebody to a Facebook group that just delivered a baby. And is wondering, you know, what is the procedure to put that baby into adoption and if we are familiar with that or not. Uh, as Kelly was, you know, telling me that she was telling her that we don't really know that procedure, although our lives have intertwined with adoption. Um, I told Kelly, I said, why don't you text her and, and, and tell her that if, that if the baby is looking for a home, that we can provide a home. Yeah. And Kelly sent that text, and, and it was literally like, you know, that broken conversation that Kelly sent a text to actually was Lucero, to Lucero to what I'm gonna call right now the mediator to birth mom, which they have never met. They were just Facebook friends. Uh, and at some point around five o'clock, we got a text saying, mom will be open to meet with you guys tomorrow when she gets discharged to, you know, for you guys to take the baby home. Uh, as we hang up, we kind of start panicking in what that looks like. Uh, <laughs> uh, start looking for attorneys and trying to find a lawyer on Friday at five o'clock is the hardest thing ever. I think all of them are in the golf course or something like that. And finally, we get a hold of a lawyer to kind of walk us through the process. Uh, I start, you know, calling Delta to try to change my flight and finally get a flight leaving uh, Fort Myers at five in the morning on Saturday. And around seven o'clock, that game plan was that. That I'll fly home early in the morning, we'll drive to South Georgia, somewhere in South Georgia, at that point we have no idea where exactly she was, to meet a mom that wants to put her baby for adoption. Around 10 o'clock that night, we got a text message from the mediator saying, Mom apparently had a mental breakdown. She checked out of the hospital, and there's really no way to contact her. Uh, and at that point, uh, you know, Kelly, my wife, she was a mess. Uh, already she was, I mean, she was already there, you know, I mean, thinking in this baby, and, and I'm trying just to, you know, put all the pieces together and help her with that process. Uh, and say, you know what, I'll fly tomorrow morning at five. I mean, we just stay home and, you know, it is what it is, God knows. Uh, at that point. So we went to bed with that idea. Around three in the morning, we got a text message from the mediator saying, mom, just reach out to me, and if you guys are open, she'll meet you in the hospital for the adoption. Uh, I f- at five o'clock, took the flight, got here at seven, uh, went straight home. Uh, we called our attorney and said, it seems that it's happening. Uh, and her words were like, I think this whole thing is just a scam. We don't have a name, we don't have a hospital, uh, we don't have any assurance that there is a baby. Uh, I think this just may be a scam. We were able to, to finally get the name of mom. Uh, we gave it to the attorney, she started calling hospitals in South Georgia, and she's like, I don't find anywhere where somebody with that name is checking. Uh, she said, my advice is don't go anywhere until you find, you know, some assurance. Uh, you know, we start trying to get a hold of the mediator, uh, getting no response, 
At that point, we got mom's number, which we called her and she didn't answer. We left a voicemail. And then I told Kelly, you know what? Let's just send her a text. And, and that's it. And if she answers, she answers. And if she doesn't, we just move on with our day. And we sent her a long text, you know, explaining why, uh, you know, we're praying for her. And if she wants to go this route, we'll be happy to meet her. And if you have an iPhone and you have sent a text message, you can see when the other person is typing. You see the little bubble? So we sent the text, and right away the bubble came up. We started freaking out. Like, like oh, I mean, at least we're talking with somebody. Who knows who this person is? We're, we're talking with somebody. And I told Kelly, I mean, whatever that message is, that's it. I mean, uh, and the message popped out and just said, uh, uh, I'm heading to the hospital. I'll see you guys there. And that was it. So I told Kelly, okay, get the kids. We're getting in the car. We're driving to Valdosta. Uh, and we called the lawyer and the lawyer, we don't know if there's a baby. We don't, I don't recommend you to go in. Uh, I'll charge you $300 an hour. You want me to go there? I mean, I mean, I'll drive four hours back and forward and you just pay me and if there's no baby, there's no baby. So we talk about it and tell Kelly, you know what, we're going to Valdosta. Worst case scenario, we just, you know, get the kids for an ice cream trip, <laughs> the most, the longest and most expensive ice cream trip ever. <laughs> we just take him for ice cream. And finally, on our way to Valdosta, around two hours uh, there, we got a, a picture from mom. Said, so here's the baby. Here's, a, here's the hospital's name. Uh, so for us, it's like, we call the lawyer and say, I mean, get in the car, it's happening. Uh, we go there around one o'clock. Uh, we meet this uh, sweet lady, a 21-year-old girl that had already an 18-month-old baby with her. A single mom, uh, going to school, working, uh, and trying to do her best to provide for her son. And she simply said, I just, I just cannot do it. I just kind of do it with both boys. And the lawyer got there on four o'clock. Uh, we went through all the paperwork and she sent everything. Uh, the doctor didn't want to release the baby just because he was born less than 48 hours prior to that moment. And we were like, like dude, we live in Atlanta. Like, we can't stay here. I have to work tomorrow. Uh, and, and finally he was gracious enough to, you know, we call our pediatrician and they got on the phone and they figured it out. So by seven o'clock, we start driving home uh, with our son. We, we call him Jonah, because Jonah without the H, J-O-N-N-A, means a, a gracious gift from God. And that's exactly what happened in less than uh, 24 hours. <laughs> His middle name is Asher, and that's uh, mom's uh, older son's name, Asher. So we asked her if we could use that name uh, as a middle name. So here he is. This is Jonah Asher Cruz. Uh, he already got my chicks, so he's going to fit perfectly in the house. It looks like he's going to be red hair, so it's going to be a lot of fun having a red hair kid. Uh, it wasn't in my bucket list ever. But uh, thankfully, we are, we're just thankful for how God orchestrated in, in less than 24 hours uh, we are able to come home with a baby boy. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling this story here for two reasons. One, it's because it's easier to tell it once than to tell it a thousand times. Uh, but second one, and most important, it's because I hope you can hear beyond an adoption story. I hope you can take this story 
as a reminder of what God is doing for creation. Because in the same way that it was, you know, this sense of we have to get there and give it a shot. That is what God is doing to get his sons and daughters and welcome them into a beloved community. Yes. And that's hope that you, what I can, you can take with you today. And that is precisely why we exist as a church. You hear from Mary, you hear from those testimonies. We exist so people can come to know, love, and worship Jesus. That is why we exist. The core value of today is integrity, which Mary said it perfectly. It is what you do when nobody's watching. Integrity, it is the why that is behind the how. It is the why that is behind the what. You know, as a church, uh, we're not by any means a perfect church. We make mistakes uh, left and right. Uh, and as a pastor and as a leader of the church, I mean, in, at all levels, we make mistakes and we apologize and we try not to make them again. And we'll make mistakes in the how, when, what, and where. But if there's one area where we are not allowed to make mistakes, it's in the why. It's in the why we exist as a church. The net church doesn't exist for us. We exist for the world. I'll say that one more time. The net church doesn't just exist for us. We exist for the world. I mean, I can look at people in the eyes and I can, and I have been in living rooms when I have heard stories about cancer, when I have heard stories about marriage struggling, when I have heard stories about unemployment, about all kinds of challenges that we all are facing. And the reality is that there is people outside this world that are going through all those kind of stuff without knowing that there is somebody that loves them. Without having a name to pray for. Without having a name to claim for. Without having that hope that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is people going through the same stuff that you're going and sometimes even worse things that you're going without faith. And we exist so they can get a glimpse of who God is. I've been wrestling this, this week with, with the scripture of the week. Uh, and I have rewrite the sermon three times. Uh, one is because obviously I have nothing to do at two in the morning, apparently, uh, between baby feedings. But it's just because what God is wrestling with me, and, and you'll see in the screens uh, where I landed this week. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 9. And this is what it says. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which is Greek for Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby Lydda. So they went and they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas has made for them. But Peter asked them, to all of them, to leave the room. When he knelt and prayed, turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. 
Let me give you some context. You see, Tabitha Dorcas, it is the first female Greek that is mentioned in the New Testament. You see, at this point, you know, we have heard about the disciples, we have heard about Mary, Mary Magdalene, those women that were following Jesus, and all of them were between the Jewish tradition. Yes, Finally, at this point, the gospel is breaking out outside of one homogeneous race. He's reaching to the Gentiles. And the first woman that is getting here is Tabitha. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't know a lot about her. But there is one thing that we do know. What scripture says? She was always doing kind things. Wouldn't you love that if your name is in the Bible, he won't say anything else about you, but just will say, Lynette, she was always doing kind things. Mateo. We don't know, a lot, we don't know a, lot, a lot about him, but what we know is that he was always doing the kind things. Tabitha's life, in just those four verses, create two things that just blow my mind, that, are, that I've been wrestling with it this week. The Bible said that when she died, the whole community was in shock. That the widows, that everyone that had been touched by her were weeping. And it made me wonder to myself, and I'll ask you this question, if, if you were to die today, will the community miss you? I mean, there's a big chance that, I mean, your spouse will miss you. I mean, your kids will miss you. Your parents will miss you. But if you were to die today, will the community around you miss you? Based on what you have been living, based on your integrity, the way you've been doing things when nobody's watching, will the community miss you? Not only the community miss her, somehow God found the need to bring her back to life. How many in this room believe that Jesus can bring people back to life? Yes, okay, almost all of us can believe that Jesus can bring somebody back to life. So let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, Will God have the need to bring you back to life? Wow. <laughs> if you were to die today, will God say, gosh, I need Paul so much that I'm going to do a miracle. And I'm going to bring him back to life. God, I need Jordan so much that I'm going to bring her back to life. That is exactly what is happening in this story. You see, we live in a broken world that needs people that can give Jesus to others. And maybe somebody in this room thinking, okay, pastor, how do I do that? Where do I start? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the way I relate to my kids. That when I can give them a nice concept about doing something, but unless I tell them you have to do something, you have to do this, they just get stuck. I can talk to them a lot about, hey, wouldn't cleaning the dishes would be awesome? Yeah, let's, let's watch a DVD so we can see how do you clean dishes. Let, let's memorize this idea of cleaning the dishes. Let's learn in Greek and Hebrew this sentence of, I have to clean the dishes. But unless they clean the dishes, the kitchen is still a mess. Unless we give Jesus to people, the world will still be a mess. It doesn't matter if we speak English, it doesn't matter if we speak Greek, it doesn't matter if we have watched tons of DVDs or read hundreds of books, unless we can give people Jesus, we'll still be in a broken world. So where do we start? 
And I'll tell you three quick stories in the Bible. This is where you can start. You can start by feeding somebody. How many of you have heard the story of David and Goliath? There's a story in the Bible about a, a, a short guy named David that defeated a giant named Goliath. And we have romanticized that story and we have come to the idea of you need to be like David defeating Goliath. You need to be like the man that was in the battlefield. But what I want to challenge you today is to think what happened before the battlefield. You see, right before he walked into the battlefield to defeat the giant, the Bible says that David was the youngest of eight brothers, yes. son of Jesse. Yes. And in 1 Samuel 17, Jesse comes to his son and says, David, I need you to do something. It may not seem important. It may not be very, very flashy. Nobody will make every movie about you doing this. But I need you to go and feed your brothers. Pick up these baskets of food and go and feed your brothers. That's why David was in that battlefield. He went there thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to kill a giant and everybody's going to want to make me a king. He went there like, I'm going to serve my brothers and feed them. And when his heart was in the right place, the rest is history. Amen. You can start by feeding somebody. There is somebody out there that needs to be fed. And it can be probably beyond food, but it has what you need. You can, you can help somebody. Jesus was born in year zero, right? That's what we say. When Jesus was born, time split. 553 years prior to that, there was a guy named Zachariah, a prophet named Zachariah. And he said, one day, the king of the Jews will come on a donkey, riding to Jerusalem which blew people's minds because when everybody was thinking in king, they were thinking, you know, at least riding a horse. I mean, if I would tell you, hey, Jesus coming back, what would you pick? Jesus driving in a limousine or Jesus riding the Martha? <laughs> so, so everybody thought, okay, Jesus is gonna come you know, in a horse. But when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he had a conversation with his disciples. John 16 says, God, Get me a donkey. And the disciples went and grabbed a donkey. Now, the conversation between the disciples and the donkey owner was very simple. The Lord needs a donkey. Yes. What did the owner say? Okay, if the Lord needs it, here it is. We don't know the guy's name. We don't know if he only had one donkey or if he had 50 donkeys. What we know is that he helped with what he had. Amen. He brought to the table what he had. Amen. He had no idea that by him saying yes to Jesus, he was fulfilling one of the most craziest prophecies at the time. But all he did was saying yes. This is what I have. Six days later, Jesus found himself in the upper room having dinner with his disciples. And scripture say that just right before Jesus started having these conversations about him dying and about what his sacrifice was look like, the disciples were arguing who was going to be the goat, who was going to be the greatest of all time. And that conversation started taking place and probably John said, I think it's going to be me. I'm the beloved disciple. 
I even write about myself in third person. <laughs> it's kind of annoying, but and probably Peter was like, dude, it's gonna be me. Like, I'm the one that walk on water. Maybe somebody was like, yeah, man, but that was just three steps, and then you start drowning. <laughs> well, three steps is as long as anybody in history has walked on water. And maybe Bartolomeo then say, I think it's gonna be me. And everybody else like, who are you, man? Like, we know you're one of the 12, but we don't know anything about you. Like, nobody will know who you are. And as they're arguing about that, Scripture says that Jesus stood up, yes. wrapped himself with a towel, yes. filled the basin with water, and went to wash their feet. Just when people were arguing who was going to be the greatest, Jesus started teaching them servanthood. Yes. Jesus started teaching them that, guys, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And you can serve somebody. You see, in the United States, we are projecting, or when I say we as a Christian church, that there will be roughly five to 6,000 Christian churches that will be closed in 2020. Just in North Georgia, in the state of Georgia, we are projecting anywhere between 150 and 200 United Methodist churches that are going to be closed. And when I hear all these numbers about churches closing, I think, will anybody in the community miss those churches? They're going to be church members. They're going to be sad about it. I'm, not, I'm respectfully not diminishing their pain. But will anybody in the community miss these churches? We're not closing anytime soon. Or I, I hope not. I touch wood on it. I don't believe in wood, but I, I'll not go knock on wood. And by any means, we're a perfect church. But golly, we're going to live with integrity. Amen. Golly, we're going to do all what we can. And we're going to act with courageous. And we're going to act like fools. And we're going to do all what we can so people can come to know, love, and worship Jesus. And just like Mary said, that is beyond we saying those words. That is, with each one of us, going outside these walls and feeding people, helping people, serving people, because there is something that you have that can be a blessing to others. Yeah. Who's in church? Who's in? Who wanna do this? Who wants to live into this world when we give people Jesus? Is anybody in this room? Does anybody in this room wants to be part of a church that gives people Jesus? Does anyone in this room wants to be part of a church that can help change people's lives? Yeah. Not because we are a good church, but because God is, good. God is good. Who wants to be part of a church that people can see beyond us and beyond our mistakes and beyond our ways of doing ministry, but that people can see a loving God that sent their son Jesus Christ to die for them? That is why we exist as a church. And that is why I'm asking you right now in here, to say yes to Jesus. To be committed in 2020 that if this is our last year as a church, and who knows? Because I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you just experienced losing Kobe Bryant, which means life is fragile. There is no guarantee that we're gonna be here in 2027. There is no guarantee that we're gonna be here in 2021. Goodness, there is no guarantee that we're gonna be here in February 9th of 2020. So what I'm gonna ask you is for the next seven days 
to give people Jesus. To respond in obedience, to respond with courage, to do what you can do, to get in the car and drive somewhere else and tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Let us pray. God, we sing there is power in your name. And God, we don't take lightly this amazing blessing and responsibility to be able to share those words. So God, as we sing this last song, and as the praises rise from this place, from inside ourselves, God, I pray that you will give us clarity enough to take steps of faith. Because there's a big chance that we will not get the whole picture. But God, just, put in, just give us enough faith to start being a blessing to others. That is our prayer in this day. God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.